Welcome to Dark Mode, the podcast that brings you sage advice from two technology experts. And that's not just what we call ourselves. It's what our moms tell people when their friend has an Android and they don't know how to talk to them because they've only ever used an iPhone. I'm your host, Luke Miani. And I'm your host, Noah Rubin. On the show, we take questions from listeners, attempt to answer them to varying degrees of success, and maybe even have a laugh or two along the way. <laughs> and uh, I've actually had more than two laughs along the way in, in the previous couple of days here, Noah, because something that I have noticed making videos on TikTok is... On, on TikTok, you get a lot more like hate comments than you get on YouTube. I think it's because people on YouTube are selecting the content that they're sh- that they're seeing, right? It stands to reason that you know you you follow people that you like, you watch videos from people that you like, and you and you tend to watch videos that are similar to other videos that you like. So in general, I find YouTube to have more positivity, whereas on TikTok, where things just kind of appear in front of your face. Oh, the comments. Oh, the comments are hilarious. I've only posted, I'm, I'm a very bad TikToker, I should point out. I don't very, I, I'm very infrequent and sporadic when I post. But when I do, especially now with the iPhone, and as I've been posting about it, I've also been seeing more videos about iPhones. And every single time there are comments that are exactly the same every single time. Let me give you an example. The big thing that's going viral on TikTok, because tech goes viral on TikTok in a different way than it does on YouTube. It's a lot more lifestyle based. It's a lot less like testing and reviewing and it's more like, this is something I did with the new iPhone 15. That's kind of the formula for going viral on, on TikTok. And the big thing this year is the 5X lens. People at concerts or with some cool view and they start zoomed in and they're like, yeah, you thought that that was the video? Well, look how zoomed in that is. And then they zoom all the way back out. People love the 5X telephoto lens on the iPhone 15 Pro Max. Specifically, a lot of those videos are, are using the digital zoom, the 25X, but still. And every single time somebody talks about an iPhone camera of any sort, but in particular the 5X lens, the comments, there there's always within the top three a comment that says to the effect of, oh, bro, you think that's cool? You think that that's interesting or impressive at all my samsung galaxy s23 can do that so much better you're an idiot because you spent money on a phone that you chose but the phone that i chose to spend money on is so much better than yours and you're a bad person for buying that phone and everyone thinks you're an idiot and that you're ugly because you didn't buy the Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra because I had the better camera. And that makes me a better, more interesting, and more successful person than you. So you should just cry yourself to sleep and throw your phone in the garbage. 
because it sucks. Well, I like the the Tim Robinson esque uh, voice there. That was very good. It, that is literally the that is how I read it in my head because it's comedic. It's like these are people who are so invested in what brand made the rectangle in their pocket, and they're they're acting like I can directly quote. A comment. I bet you I can. I bet you I can verbatim find a comment and go find a video that I've never seen before and find that exact comment. Okay. Here, here is. We're gonna do this live. All right, because it is literally every single video. If someone talks about a iPhone specifically or especially the camera, you will see a comment that says laughs in s23 ultra or iphone can never be as good as s23 ultra or android owners be like looking eye emoji okay we're gonna find this right now i'm looking up iphone 15 pro max that's all i'm looking up okay here we have our tiktok feed and i want to find something specifically about the camera i'll 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 add camera okay here we go we've got top likes okay here's here's a moon photo you already know what's going to happen okay oh yeah this is somebody taking a picture of the moon with prores raw okay so the here's a pretty mundane video of them zooming in on the moon and then I, I'm assuming, oh, there's clouds that helps you focus. Oh, wow, look at that. They got a picture of the moon. Let's pull up the comments here. Comment number one, random people, Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra. That one is at least making fun of them. Comment number two, though, Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra stone Easter Island head emoji. It's crazy how 25x on iPhone looks about the same as 100x on Samsung. Is that it? My Samsung had that back in 2013. First of all, no, it didn't. Laughing in Samsung S23 Ultra. There it is, verbatim. Word for word. I'm telling you, every single video. I don't understand. I mean... Look, I get that especially the moon feature has been a feature, kind of. It's very much AI enhanced and kind of fake, if you ask me. But like, dude, it's crazy. Yeah, I was going to say, it's especially funny that it's like the moon, because that was the whole controversy with Samsung, like faking the moon pictures. So that's like, that's especially funny. But like, obviously, you know, like you said, you're going to see these on all those comments or all the different TikToks, like anytime there's an iPhone. Every single one. I don't get, it almost sounds like an astroturfing campaign from Samsung. Like they're paying people to like go and comment on all these. It's like, do people actually care that, you know what I mean? It's not like the video is like, here's why the iPhone is great and and Samsung sucks or whatever. Like if it were like that, then, you know, yeah. I get it. But if it's this, like, here's my iPhone. I did this with my iPhone. And then all the comments are like, oh, I, Samsung is better, whatever. It's It almost seems like there's something going on. I'm sure there isn't, but it, but it kind of seems like. No, I, I definitely get why you would think that. I mean, if I go to 
like uh, this is all on other people's content, but of course I talk about Apple stuff too. So I I've done like five or six or seven videos about the iPhone 15 and every single one of them, every single one of them, no matter what the topic is, there's just so many people talking about Android phones. I'm like, dude, if you are so happy with your phone, why are you watching this video? Because I'm not going to lie, Noah. If I'm on my timeline and I see somebody talking about an Android phone, I insta-scroll past that video. I'm not going to watch that. I don't give a shit. Yeah, that's fair. It's like, yeah, it's one thing to like not care and skip past it like you do. It's another thing to be like, okay, you know, I don't use Android phones, but like, I'll see what's going on over there, you know, on the other side of the fence and like, and you watch it. But it's another thing to be like, I'm going to go watch this video and then go hate on it because like, because yeah. I like, it's like you look at it and you get like some, you get like a, like a gut reaction, like a, like a, like a primal instinct that you're like, Oh, Android <laughs> yeah. bad or iPhone bad. And then you go write a comment about it. It's like ridiculous. They've got to be compensating for something, right? I mean, I you just... I don't think that you see that the other way around. I mean, okay, the one area where where iPhone people are universally like cringe and like gatekeeping is is green bubbles, right? Obviously that's like a meme where iPhone people like make fun of Android green bubble people. But for every other feature, Android bros seem uniquely obsessed to the point of of being like a hyper fixation with with not only not allowing you to enjoy something that you find interesting but having to tell you that it's actually bad because android is better and first and and more impressive and better value like there's no there's no allowing for things to just be like good like uh, like when when Android phones adopted the dynamic island, right? A lot of Android phones have been taking that feature and making some version of that. And people are always like, oh, nice. They copied the dynamic island. That's funny, right? That's what the the iPhone reaction is to that. But you don't see this like visceral, like you're a bad person because the phone that you bought, I had that feature already. So your phone is worthless garbage like i'm like whoa bro chill out i just like a feature <laughs> like what is with this like visceral hatred yeah i i i really don't get it i, I find this really interesting though because like i've never been on tiktok or i guess i should say like occasionally someone will send me a video and i'll look at it in like the web like i don't have an account so i'll look at it in the web but, like, I don't have the app. I don't have an account. I've never, like, used it. So I feel like it's, like, a whole other world. <laughs> it's like you were saying that, like, you know, tech uh, tech uh, discourse on TikTok is different than tech discourse on, like, YouTube or probably Twitter or whatever. Like, they're all a little bit different. So I don't know. I find it very interesting. Like, I wasn't even aware. Yeah. I'm aware of the general, like, uh, you know, san- like, Android versus iPhone, like, discourse or whatever. But, like... It sounds really toxic on uh, on TikTok. Yeah, I it, it definitely is. I mean, there is a general rule 
amongst TikTokers. I don't really consider myself a TikToker, obviously, because I don't. I think I've made like a hundred bucks off it, and I barely upload at all. But the uh, what I've heard from people who are full time TikTokers that I've talked to is they literally just don't read their comments. Like, you'll get good comments; they get filtered up to the top. And what I find is that the top comments weirdly typically seem to be pretty much in line with like the message that the video is giving off or like in line with what I agree with. It's almost a little weird. Like if I see a political video and I'm like, dang, this guy's a clown. I open the comments and everyone's clowning him. But if you see a video where you're like, that's a good point. The comments are usually like, yeah, that's a pretty good point. But as with YouTube, the comments that the actual creator sees are are not those top comments, right? Those are accumulated after hours and days. They get filtered up to the top. But as a creator, you're, you're, you're seeing the most recent comments. And I guarantee if I go to my most recent comments, it will not take me very long to find somebody telling me like coming up with the most heinous insult you could possibly imagine. Okay, for example, <laughs> I open up the activity. the The top, the the most recent notification is someone adding a video to favorites. Right below that is somebody commenting, "Yeah, whatever." Right below that. Someone says, maybe you want to waste your money, it's yours, but i rather buy a better phone with less price tag. The very next comment, okay, that's a positive one. Somebody said, wow. And then, yeah, I mean, most of these, <laughs> most of these comments are either trashing the phone that I'm talking about or trashing me. Or one person commenting like 17 times on, on a single video. Like, it's it's actually a mess. Huh, yeah, that sounds... So yeah, I feel like you would just want to wait. Like, if you post something, literally just like, don't look at your comments for a few days. And then you can, you can see what bubbles up to the top. Because I feel like... Oh, yeah. A lot, like, if you get a lot of comments, I'm sure, like, a lot of it's going to be junk or, like hate like unconstructive criticism basically like you know mm -hmm. let, let 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 the let the good stuff you know i'm not saying like wait until you have all positive comments right like if you have right. a bad take and and people disagree with you that's fine but like don't let wait for the people that like express it you know well to have their comments bubble to the top and then you can look at it yeah i and i i just find it so funny that it it's it's more than anything, it's on any topic about an iPhone. Like, when I upload a video about, like, a macOS feature or, like, a random, like, shit post about, you know, something that happened in tech news, right? The comments are usually very mundane, either just discussing what it is or, I mean, occasionally they're like, I don't like your face. I'm like, okay, fair. But when you talk about an iPhone... It gets personal and mean really fast. <laughs> Hilarious. But anyway, yeah. So that that was uh that was the first thing I wanted to talk about. But 
the next the next thing if we're going to talk about controversies we got to talk about the ipad because this was the uh the video that i just posted was that yesterday yeah yesterday i know how time works don't worry about it but in effect that video was collecting my thoughts on what we've talked about a number of times, which is the dilemma that Apple's facing with the iPad right now. Yeah, I feel like we've definitely discussed it on the show before. Obviously, we've discussed it in person. Um, I did watch the whole video. I thought it was a great video, and it you know summarized everything that we that we said. Uh, but basically, like, yeah, the 2018 iPad Pro was a game changer. And the game has stayed the same since then. And that's a bit of a problem for Apple. Yeah, I mean, I, I to be quite honest, don't use iPads as much as I used to, uh, especially since Apple Silicon. I mean, Apple Silicon just made using the Mac so good that I haven't really felt the need to go over to the iPad. Uh, but even then, this is my 2018 Wi-Fi only, 64 gigabyte iPad Pro 11 inch. Literally the the most base poverty spec iPad Pro of this generation that you could get. And I didn't even buy it new. It was used three years ago for like 450 bucks. And still, despite Apple never receiving a penny of my money for this, and me not even paying 500 bucks, I have never felt the need to update it. I mean, obviously there's been 2020 and then M1, M2, there's three more recent versions of iPad than this. And none of them, I, I none of them are compelling reasons to upgrade. In fact, the other iPad Pro that I do have, the M1 12.9 inch that I got, cause I was like, okay, I'm gonna review this thing. I use this less than the 2018 because it, it's too big and heavy. It's heavier and bigger than a MacBook Air. Yeah, yeah. And so I have the, the 2018 iPad Pro 11-inch. I did upgrade to the storage to 256, which I'm happy Smart. about because I use that. That's like a good one for like planes. So I can like download a bunch of mm-hmm. media and – and uh, you know, have it for like plane planes and you know travel and stuff. So so I, I do like that. I'm I'm happy that I have that. But like I agree, there's nothing compelling about the new stuff. Like the thing still works perfectly fine. It still supports pretty much all of the features of iPad OS, uh, or at least the ones that I care about. The battery life is still totally fine. I don't use my iPad too much these days. Um, but basically, I have it. Uh, like sitting in one place like downstairs where I play my guitar. So when I practice guitar, I flip it up and I have like my, you know, my chords or my tabs and I have Mm. Spotify like side by side. And it's great for that. Like a very simple thing like that, you know, do two things side by side, AirPods, whatever. It's great. So I, so I'm very happy with it. Um, But yeah, like I don't know, like at the end of your video, I don't want to spoil the video, but I guess we're going to talk about it. Anyways, at the end of the video, it's like, yeah. well, what's Apple going to do 
uh, you know, in the future. And like, you didn't know. And I, and I don't know either. It's like, what is it going to take to, to, to make us want to upgrade? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the crux of the issue that Apple is facing right now. Like you said, at the end of my video, I, I, I was hoping that by the time I got through my talking points, it would give me an idea of something to 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 like recommend as an improvement. But I literally could not think of anything. I have no notes for improvement. I know that the product isn't as useful as it could be. Not to say that it's useless, but that the things I find it useful for don't necessitate an upgrade past what we already have. So, for example, what you just mentioned, watching media on a plane, pulling up uh, chords, pulling up Spotify. I, I, I'll use it for browsing. Um, I don't know. I, I do like to use it to browse like news or, you know, I'm moving soon. So browsing Zillow because interacting with a touchscreen to, to zoom in and out of maps is pretty nice. These aren't, you know, massive pro level tasks. These aren't tasks that need an M2 chip. And so, you know, when, when Apple says like, oh, hey, well, guess what now? Now it's a mini LED and now it's 15% faster. I'm like, okay, well, I didn't, didn't really need any of those things. I honestly use the 2018 iPad Pro almost exclusively in terms of screen time for watching downloaded content on, um, on planes. It's great for that because it's small. You can detach it. So when you have to like put your tray table away, you can just hold it, you know, stuff like that. It's good. Reading news, doing stuff that I would do casually on a phone, but just to have a bigger screen. But honestly, I will go months without using any iPad and not really feel the heat that bad. Yeah, that's totally fair. And I feel like it's tricky, you know, so you included like, in your video, a little excerpt from when the iPad was announced, right? And there was Steve yeah. Jobs saying, like, here's the phone, here's the the laptop or, or the computer, and the iPad has to be somewhere in the middle. And that's kind of a tricky thing, you know, from the get-go to put something in the middle there. But there was a comment, I think it was a comment on your video, and I wish I remember who it was from, but it was really interesting. They basically said, like, the problem isn't, uh, necessarily with all iPads, but more specifically mm. with the iPad Pros, which I think you were kind of getting at a little bit, you know, in the last thing you said. But the thing where, like, if, you, if you're using the iPad to do, like, media consumption or, you know, basic productivity or whatever, you would be perfectly fine with an iPad Air or an iPad Mini mm -hmm. or, or a regular iPad, whatever. The, the Pros, where you have this additional power, you have the same level of power, the same chip that you have in an actual laptop, but it still has iPad OS on it and it's still limited. I think I think iPad OS is really holding the iPad back. And maybe that's the way that Apple could move forward at the same time. It's tricky for them to not cannibalize the Mac too much. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's a good point because I I wasn't trying to imply in the video that 
I, I played that clip that you mentioned about uh, from from the original keynote where Steve Jobs basically explained the positioning of the iPad. And I wish that Apple would do that stuff more often, right? Steve Jobs is really good at, at saying like, okay, here is what people are using right now. We think that this is what people might actually want instead. This is how it's going to fit into our product lineup, and this is our justification for it. I love when Steve Jobs does that, and he did a great job with the iPad, and I actually think that they were wildly successful. Obviously, the iPad is the best-selling tablet, and for what Steve Jobs specifically targeted the iPad to, they knocked it out of the park. The iPad was and still is for when the iPhone is too small and the Mac is too big. It has the benefits of a touchscreen without the complications or the weight of a Mac. But a couple things have happened since 2010. Number one, when you make a product like that, which is in its initial form for like mobile gaming on a slightly bigger screen, uh, mobile applications like reading articles or books or sheet music on a larger screen. Very, you know, it wasn't getting too complicated, right? And the problem is when you do that, it doesn't take very many generations before people kind of just already have something that does just fine. And I think that's what caused the iPad slump in 2015. Because you're sort of confined on one end by the iPhone and on the other end by the Mac, this middle ground product doesn't have as much room to do its own thing. So by 2015, what, what we found was most of the people who, who found those types of things useful already had the iPad. And, you know, what real need do you have for anything more than that? 2018's answer was the iPad Pro. That's where they said, okay, we understand that if you're going to continue to support this product and buy new ones, you're going to need more functionality. So the iPad Pro delivered that. And I think the best innovation that happened for the iPad is using it for art. The Apple Pencil, being able to do sketches, uh, geometric diagrams, coloring, stuff like that, which all basically started with the iPad Air. Remember when the A7X chip or the A7 chip brought 64-bit processing? That was big for the iPhone, big for the iPad. But once we got to that point, I think the iPad hit a ceiling where most of the people that buy them still just want those basic tasks. They want to check their email, play a game, text their friends on a bigger screen, maybe look at their videos and watch Netflix, right? Basic tasks that you could literally do on any iPad. Even like outdated iPads can do all of those things on older versions of iPad OS. You don't even need a current one. And so Apple's now like, well, okay, if we make it any more powerful than we've just made a Mac with extra steps. What do you do? Yeah, it's it's really challenging because like people like the common answer is like, "Oh, just put macOS on the iPad." And like 
it's now more obvious than ever that like that could like there's no technical reason why you can't it's it has an m2 chip in it right there's no reason why they're you identical can't, yeah you could just stick mac os on there obviously you would need to make you know like software adjustments to mac os for it to work with a touch screen work nicely whatever but like theoretically you could do it but apple doesn't want to do that and they've you know they've said as much that they don't want to do that because they want to keep right from a business perspective they want to keep the ipad separate because then you'll buy an ipad and a mac like that's you know pretty obvious Mm -hmm. but also from like a usability perspective like maybe combining them could be good but if they're separate, maybe they could be even better. Like if, you know, the Mac has something that is made for, you know, keyboard, mouse, clamshell, whatever, like computer versus, you know, something on the iPad. I think iPad OS as it stands is not quite enough. It's a little bit too far in the iOS, like iPhone direction. It's definitely mm-hmm. improved over the years. I mean, it used to, the iPad used to just run ios like straight up like they didn't even have a different name for it right and then they added this different name they added multitasking they added some other stuff but like they got to go a little bit further i think with the software to and like Mm -hmm. stage manager wasn't it but like something they got to do a little bit more to 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 get there and and i think honestly i think that what they've done with ipad os is in general pretty good Right, I think the multitasking features, not the easiest. I talk about in my video how kind of annoying and fiddly it is to try to get split screen stuff and like, it can be a bit of a pain. But when you're talking about a used 2018 iPad Pro, you can get these things for like $400, $500. At that price point, that I have no issues with that, right? It's a touch screen. It's easy to use. It has some basic multifunctions, multitasking functionalities. That's good for 500 bucks. Problem is the iPad Pro, when Apple releases a new one, they are trying to justify a thousand or, or even more on, on one of these devices. My 12.9 inch iPad Pro base 128 gigs with the keyboard case. It's $1,400. That's more than a 15-inch MacBook Air. You can get a 14-inch M1 Pro MacBook Pro with a mini LED ProMotion display, a crap ton of performance. You can get those for that amount of money. And they're just simply more usable. And I think to your point there, Noah, when people talk about putting Mac OS on the iPad, they're like, okay, well, how do, how do, we, make this, how do we make this more useful? The answer is a real operating system. But as you also mentioned, you can't just copy and paste Mac OS onto an iPad. Look at Final Cut Pro. Final Cut Pro was something that we've wanted on the iPad for years. And when you think about it, it sounds simple, right? Oh, just put it on there. But all of the ways that you interact with Final Cut Pro are completely non-touch. So obviously you're going to have to rethink how the app works, which Apple did. And I think they did as good a job as they could do, but it's still not as useful as regular Final Cut. And I don't know very many people who are using it for anything more than very basic stuff. I'm sure there's a video somewhere where someone's like, I edited a a feature length movie on an iPad Pro, but that's not going to be like 
an industry standard thing, right? So the same would apply to I, I, uh, to macOS. You know, everyone says, oh, just put macOS on. By the time you do it, you're going to have to rethink things to make it fit with the touchscreen. And that's already going to alter it enough that it won't be the same. macOS just doesn't translate to the iPad. And whatever you do to make it fit there, they just don't seem capable of making it feel as useful. Yeah, and I think one of the the major challenges that Apple has to deal with the, with the iPad specifically is how versatile it is in terms of so you can use the thing, you know, just the iPad completely like naked, just iPad with a touch screen and you would obviously need a software keyboard if you need to type anything in. You can add the Apple Pencil and now you have the pencil as a means of input in addition to or instead of touch. You can also add the mm. keyboard. So now you have a keyboard. You can also add a keyboard trackpad combo. So now you have both a keyboard and a trackpad, right? Like Mac OS, let me put it this way. If every iPad came with a keyboard case and the keyboard case were like attached, to, like if it were like, like the Microsoft Surface, if it were like that, mm. then I feel like you could theoretically put Mac OS on it. Because you're like, okay, people are going to have a keyboard and trackpad on this thing pretty much all the time, whatever, I guess. And there's still considerations, you know, there's still some challenges, but you could. But the problem is you need to support the people who have just the plain iPad touchscreen and the people who have the keyboard and trackpad. People like me, I have the, the old keyboard case with no trackpad, and I also have a pencil, which I sometimes, you know, keep on the iPad, sometimes not on the iPad. There's just so many different, like ways that you can configure the inputs and whatever software is on there has to work well with any of these, right? And I think, first of all, that's a challenge. And second of all, I think that's the reason why iPadOS is limited right now, right? It obviously came from iOS. It started with iOS and kind of branched off, but it's always been much more optimized for the touch input. And so you can use a mouse and keyboard, right? If you're on the home screen and you move your trackpad around, you'll get a little cursor, but you still have a bunch of little app icons that are all like with a ton of white, a ton of like separation between them, a bunch of little icons in a grid. It's very clearly inspired by iOS, meant for the touchscreen and, you know, the keyboard and mouse stuff or the trackpad and mouse stuff just kind of works too. And it does something there, but it's, it's just challenging to, 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 you know, to move, to move on for that and, and, you know, work with all these different means of input. I think I've realized something. What? When you're talking about these different means of input and like, oh, well, if it's like a surface book, like that really let, let me realize what I think the issue with the iPad with other tablets from Android manufacturers, even convertible laptops, all of these devices that, that that spawned after the original iPad, right? The iPad kicked off this like alternative laptop computing device trend. What's a computer? <laughs> exactly. The problem is I don't, I think that those are solutions in search of a problem. Hmm. Like you'll notice that as it, it kind of started with the iPad, right? The iPad was the first tablet 
that gained mainstream appeal. After that, Android manufacturers started making their versions, right? With Android on a big screen, it's a very similar concept. And then you started to see Microsoft say, okay, well, let's do Windows 8, optimized to be both a touchscreen and a laptop. We all know how that went. But the concept persisted. What if your laptop had a touchscreen? What if your laptop had a screen that could come off and be a tablet, but then go back on and be a real laptop again? What if you could turn your laptop around and then it's a tablet without having to detach anything? What if you could swivel the top down onto the keyboard and then it's like an easel? You know, you see all of these different formats for tablets, for laptop tablets, tap tops, lap laplets, you know, all of these different things. But none of them have ever really replaced or competed with in, a, in any serious market share way the traditional laptop because the traditional laptop literally since 1991 has had the same formula and I guess people just don't really think it needs any work. I would equate it to uh, the, the foldables trend, right? We, we used to have a whole bunch of crazy, wacky, goofy shapes for phones. You know, the candy bar, the slide, the flip. My mom had a phone where it was a flip phone like this, but then it also it had a double hinge so it could go sideways and the keypad was e-ink. So when you, when you flipped it up, it was, a, it was a number pad for dialing a cell phone. When you flipped it sideways, it was a QWERTY keyboard. You know, Jeez. we had all these like crazy, like genuinely very cool and interesting ways of doing stuff. And then Apple just went, no, rectangle. And we've been on rectangle ever since. Till they started, oh, well, what if uh, that, that's bending screen? Or what if it folds in half and it got bigger? But... All of those, again, are solutions in search of a problem. We've done laptops a certain way. We've done smartphones a certain way. Those are interesting takes on it, and they appeal to some people. But I personally don't believe that the iPad will replace the Mac, that convertible laptops will, will replace like regular laptops, or that folding phones will replace rectangle phones. Yeah, I mean, I I'm inclined to agree. Our pal uh, Concept Central in the in the chat here basically said uh, just about what you said uh, as well. Um, so I think a lot of us agree, and I agree. You know, uh, um, yeah, solution in search of a problem. Definitely, like when you look at uh, you know Steve Jobs' value proposition for the iPad, it. He, he, you know, he, he laid it out. He had the reasoning, but it's definitely not as strong as like, you know, the iPhone or the Mac. It was more like, uh, what if there were something in the middle in between them? And like, yeah, it's good for some things, but it's not as like strong or as core of a need right. as something like the iPhone or the Mac would be right. And I think to put it another way, so it's a, it's a solution in search of a problem. I think, you know, in, in another way to say, maybe these things are trying to do too much at once, maybe like a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none kind of thing. Or maybe, mm -hmm. I would say, jack-of-all-trades, master of, like, one thing. I feel like the Surface tablet is very much, uh, you know, a laptop, 
a traditional keyboard and trackpad experience that also happens to have a touch screen. And that's good, right? If you want to open up like a drawing app and do some drawing or you want to like tap on some icons or whatever you can, but it's primarily meant to be a, a keyboard and trackpad experience. The iPad is the opposite, right? It's it's at its core a touch screen experience, a large iPhone, you know, tablet, whatever experience. And you can put a mouse and keyboard or a, or a trackpad and keyboard on it. And, you know, you can do stuff with that. And that's and that's great. But at the core, it's really meant to be a touchscreen. And I feel like all these mm-hmm. things are made for one thing. They excel at one thing. And you can do other stuff with them, too. And sometimes that's nice, but it's but it's really optimized for for that one thing that it's good at. And the other stuff, you know, not not so great. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And and I think. There's an interesting comment here from eUploads saying, well, isn't Vision Pro also a solution searching for a problem? Isn't that the same thing? And I actually don't think it is. Uh, Because I think when you look at a, a, a very simple way that I like to think about it, which is an interpretation that I get from when Steve Jobs would envision a product. If you have to add all of this complexity you're doing something wrong. A true innovative product isn't the most complex. It's the most simple or sometimes obvious. And it's hard to anticipate what that would necessarily be, right? Because people don't necessarily imagine something before it happens. I mean, you go back to the early 2000s, people didn't really think, oh, what if my phone and my music player and my camera we're all the same thing. Even Steve Jobs didn't envision the App Store right away, right? That came a year after the iPhone launched. So I'm not saying that you're going to know the, the full puzzle, but when your innovation is taking something that exists and adding extra steps to it, I think that that in general, while it might appeal to some people, isn't going to completely change the thing. Right. It, 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 in the case of of folding phones, for example, you're taking a, a very simple formula. Right. Every smartphone out there is some some rectangular shape with a screen on the front. That's it. That's pretty simple, and that's been the same for 17 years. But with folding phones, you start going with the oh well. But if it folded open like a book, then you could have a bigger screen that becomes a smaller phone. If you fold it vertically, it's the same thing. But you're adding a lot of extra complication and cost. You're adding all of these these you know different features like oh even the what was the Motorola one that flipped up and it had like a screen and then the screen flipped over to the side it was like a T shape. You know you can do all of these things. And a lot of people really like those, but they're not fundamentally, I wouldn't consider them by default an improvement because they're adding a complication. They're adding a feature that's, that's niching it down. That's not niching it up. I don't think that vision pro has that same problem. It could, but because it's, it's taking the computer and putting it in the world around you. I think that is by definition 
not searching for a problem, but giving you a new means of interacting with stuff. I don't know if I might be splitting hairs here. I don't know if I'm explaining that right, but that's where I'm thinking. What do you think? No, I agree. I think, you know, first of all, yes, the Vision Pro, someone said this in the comments and it's basically what you said, like the Vision Pro lets you do new things that existing devices don't allow you to do, right? In the way right. that like an iPad, an iPad doesn't really do that. It's basically like your iPhone, but bigger, which which is fine mm -hmm. and it's useful. But the Vision Pro it's it, it's a it's a different like paradigm right it's a totally different like way that you interact with it the way that it interacts with like your environment whatever and the other thing i'll say is you know the the first vision pro you know the one that we saw announced and when we've talked about mm. this we've said this is like the first one it's it's the first step and things are only going to get better from there. So maybe the first Vision Pro, you know, you could say, you know, based on your own rubric, it adds a lot of complexity and it's really expensive, you know, whatever. But I think if you take a little bit of a longer vision, you know, you wait, you go a few years into the future when it's less of a, you know, big VR headset and more of like the glasses kind of thing. And I think eventually it has mm -hmm. the potential to replace the phone right instead of carrying this like this rectangle this brick in your pocket it's just there you know every it's on your face everything's there you don't have to worry about it like i could see that being the future not the first vision pro but that's you right. know, the first step it's the long term the ipad was never going to to be that and and that's fine because it wasn't supposed to yeah no and i think you're right the ipad is t perfectly fine being what it is. The iPhone obviously was a big thing that, that grew into a phenomenon and took over the world, basically. Not just the iPhone, but the smartphone and the rectangle brick, basically. But I think you're right, and that's a good way of explaining it for Vision Pro. It's the beginning of a new way of thinking about it that's not adding complication, adding gimmick. It's not saying like, hey, you know what you do in your world? How about the metaverse, which is like a different world? Vision Pro doesn't do that. Vision Pro just says, hey, you don't have to learn anything new and like change your world. It's just stuff that was in a rectangle before is now around you. And that means you can do some more stuff. It's logical. It, it, it makes sense. It's not a reinvention. It's not trying to like twist something existing and tweak it it's i think weirdly simple yeah i don't know it, yeah and like that's why you know we don't have to go on a whole vision pro tangent but yeah like, yeah it is very exciting like we're, we're you know we're getting theoretically getting closer to to you know to it being available and it is Woo. it is exciting right it's like it's it's the first step it's it's gonna be a rough start i think i think it's gonna be very cool some parts of it are going to be very rough, uh, you know, the battery and the the cable that that goes down your head, whatever, you know, that kind of stuff. But 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 yes, nervous the, about that. It's the first step, and and you know, a little while down the line, when those you know things are are ironed out, I think it'll be hopefully it'll be a bit more clear, you know, where this thing stands. It could be a supplementary device. You know, Apple really has the choice. They could go down that road of like this thing is gonna be mm. 
a supplementary device. I don't think that they want to do that. I hope that they don't do that, but they could do that. Or they could go down the road of like, this is going to be, you know, the next iPhone, the way that the iPhone cannibalized the, the iPod, this, you know, Vision Pro or whatever it becomes in the future might eventually do that too. Apple has the choice and we're going to see what they do, but I think there's at least potential for it to be, you know, the next step. And, and I think that's the, the differentiating factor. No, I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's that's the potential, and, and this is not all pro project. That not all products have to do that. iPad, I think, as as frustrating as it is, and as sort of aimless as it seems, the iPad Pro is one thing. The regular iPad has stuck to that use case that Steve Jobs envisioned, and I think it still fits that bill. It's the same as the Apple Watch, right? The Apple Watch isn't necessarily trying to do anything major and revolutionary. The Apple Watch isn't trying to take over your phone and completely replace everything and go crazy. But it does a good job of, you know, it's getting updates. I will say we're slowing down a little bit, but the Apple Watch Ultra was a really nice, refreshing way to be like, okay, look, this is a great additional feature that we're adding on top of the Apple Watch. It's not changing anything, it's not gimmicking it, but it, it adds another option that you can choose if you want like a dive computer on your wrist. But unfortunately, as it turns out, the Apple Watch Ultra, which is supposed to be the rugged, durable, take anywhere, go literally go diving under the ocean with, Seemingly, in the hands of our own Noah Rubin, uh, was not quite as durable. So, Noah, do you want to explain? We alluded to it at the very beginning. We've had a great conversation. But what is going on in the world of Noah Rubin's Apple Watch Ultra? Uh, yes. First, I need to acknowledge just how smooth that transition was. We're not exactly yeah. known for our smooth transitions here, but that one was just, it was a very slow, you know, change the mm. subject a little bit, bring it home, I don't know, very nice, I have to give you credit. I know, I'm really proud of that one. That's I going was, on the wall. When you started talking about the Apple Watch, I was like, wait, is he about to do, and then, <laughs> you Look at it. that, I impressed, I even impressed Noah with that transition, that's how you know it was good. So I thank you, I appreciate that. We've now ruined it, of course, by, drawing attention to it but that's fair and i think was deserved i think it was deserved but you know what was not deserved was what happened oh. to my apple watch wow yeah i'm speechless that was that was one of our classic uh transitions there yeah but that's let me get like into it. we're back yes yeah. we we uh we've saved the best for last uh so i'll get into this uh you might not notice anything different about my wrist here yeah, it looks fine but here, oh. here's here's another Apple Wait. Watch, right? I don't know. Kind of weird. This is I don't even know about this. You don't know about this. The second Apple Watch. Well, I think I think you might, but basically, this one that I'm holding in my hand is my Apple Watch Ultra, the original one that I bought one year and two weeks ago. Keep that that date in mind uh will you uh, -oh. uh one year and two weeks ago when it came out 
And uh, I promise you this thing is completely toast. I'm like holding down the two side buttons like you're supposed to do to turn it on. It does not turn on. Uh, putting Ooh. on the charger does not do anything. This thing is completely dead. And the one on my wrist as I am now the 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 uh, the shameful owner of an Apple Watch Ultra Two, oh, <laughs> because the this unwilling one, owner, I did not, dude. Let me before I get into the whole story, I just want to say I don't notice a single difference with the new one. It's like like physically, aesthetically, it's a hundred percent identical. Even the like etchings on the bottom, everything is a hundred percent identical. There's it doesn't say like Ultra Two or anything on it. It looks the exact same. It doesn't feel any faster. The 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 double pinch thing isn't coming until next month or like later this month or something. So the one software feature isn't this whatever zero difference. I I, I will just put that out there that that I don't notice oh. any difference. That's so unfortunate. I mean, I'm not surprised. But yeah, yeah do you want to go through the story of how it all began? Because I kind of got the text, you know, line by line updates, and I was literally speechless. Yeah, this was so. Yeah, I did text Luke as this uh, little saga, I guess, was unfolding. But basically, it's a very simple story. I went to a pool on Friday. It was very hot. It was like 90 degrees here. Perfect weather for you know going for a swim. I Sounds was lovely. wearing the Apple Watch Ultra in the pool as I had worn my previous Series 5 in the pool multiple times, right? Series 5 in the mm -hmm. pool, totally. Since the Series 2, I think it was the Series 2, right, where they made it water resistant and they showed the ads mm -hmm. of people swimming in pools, whatever. So I wore the Ultra in the pool. I started my, you know, swim workout. The little water icon was on. It was, you know, whatever water mode was activated, whatever. I went for a swim. It was totally fine. I was literally in the pool for, I think, 30 minutes or, you know, 45 at the most, but I think it was like 30 something minutes. And towards the, the end, it started like acting weird. It was like, hmm. I think I like went to pause the workout and the screen was like not responding. And then it started acting like the digital crown was being pressed down, right? Which is especially bad because when you have water mode turned on, the way that you turn it off is by holding down the digital crown. So literally yeah, the good. watch was underwater and I felt it vibrating and I lifted it up out of the water and it was like deactivating the water mode. And it was like doing the thing where it like spits the water out of the speaker. And it started doing that while it was underwater because it thought the digital crown was being pressed down. It was, and actually I don't know how much the water mode matters. I think it just like, disables the screen and some stuff but like obviously it's not good that that's you know getting deactivated whatever okay yeah i got out of the pool again i had been in there for maybe a half an hour i was just doing regular like little like laps and taking plenty of breaks like you know totally normal swimming stuff i got out of the pool i the the watch was like the screen wasn't responding. Siri was constantly popping up because, again, it thought that the digital crown was being held down. So Siri was coming up. It was, like, trying to call random people and do random things. I was trying to, like, pause the workout or end the workout, and I couldn't do it because the screen kept locking up. Whatever. Eventually, it, like, crashed a couple times. Like, it would crash. It would reboot. It would be okay for a little bit, and then it would crash again. Uh, then... It went into a boot loop. So literally the Apple logo would show up for five seconds and it would 
power off, five seconds, power off, so on and so forth. And, uh, you know, it would do that. And, uh, you know, I would, uh, it got super hot. It got like literally like too hot to touch. Like I would lift, like pick it up for a couple seconds and it would like physically, like, I don't want to say burn me cause there was not like a burn, but it was like super hot and whatever. Then, then after doing that for like an hour or so, it completely died. So this thing's completely dead. No signs of life. Charger doesn't do anything. Buttons don't do anything. Whatever. Completely dead. Um, so this was in the afternoon. This was Friday afternoon. Literally, like, as soon as this thing died, I was like, I went onto the Apple website and I ordered a new Apple Watch for, for in-store pickup that day. I was like, I'll figure out what's going on with this thing, but let me just get another one. I know that sounds probably ridiculous <laughs> to some people, but, like, I don't know. I felt like... I had to bike home without tracking it on my Apple Watch, and I felt like I was like naked or something because I didn't have my watch on. It was horrible. Because <laughs> you, it, it doesn't count if you're not tracking it. Exactly. Well, I tracked it on my phone, so at least it showed up in the activity app. Like that was if if that didn't happen, okay, I would have been good. done for. But there was no heart rate data, and it was like it doesn't. It mm. didn't. I don't know if it really count. Right? You know, it's it's a mess. You understand? You you can feel my pain. I get right? it. I yeah. get it. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, because I'm right. also weird. Yes, exactly. So I literally I got home, I I biked home, I drove to the Apple store in Palo Alto, I picked up you know my new Apple Watch, and I also made a Genius Bar appointment because totally unrelated. But my AirPods are constantly giving me Find My notifications that I left them behind. Literally multiple times a day, it's like, oh, you left your AirPods behind, and they're always in my pocket. But whatever, bruh. I made an appointment for that. They didn't, the guy was like, oh, just reset them and it'll be fine. But I asked about the watch Helpful too. as always. I know. And I asked about the watch too. And he was like, okay, let's put it on the charger for 10 minutes and see if anything happens. Obviously nothing happened. And he was like, okay, you just got to call them. Fine. So I called them earlier today and they were basically like, we can't do anything about it because you don't have Apple care. They said that the, the limited, the one year limited warranty does not cover water-related damage at all. So, like, even if I had been under that limited warranty, I still, apparently, they still wouldn't have helped me, you know, because it was a water-related thing. That's what the person told me. That's what the person no. told me. That's, okay, here's the thing. You can make that claim if you're not also advertising it as a dive computer. Like, dog, you're advertising it. Look, I, I, cause I wanted to check this. So I've pulled up their comparison screen here. Compare models. Apple Watch Ultra 2 is rated a hundred meter water resistant. High speed water sports recreational dive to 40 meters. You were, I suspect less than one meter underwater. Yeah, it was literally... And it does say swim-proof. Proof, yeah. not resistant, swim-proof. Yeah, yeah. And not only that, but, like, I had taken my Series 5 in that exact same pool. Not that it matters what pool it was, but literally in that exact same pool multiple times, and it never had a problem like this one did. So extremely, extremely frustrating. But the, the thing that I realized was that I actually hadn't... I think that was the first time that I had taken this Apple Watch in the water because I guess I got it when it came out last September. 
I don't think I went to a pool before like winter time. And then even over the summer, there was like one period where I like maybe could have, but I was injured. Luke was there for, for part of it, but I, I like injured yeah. my hands in a bike accident. I think we talked about it on the show. So I literally couldn't put my hand in the water, let alone all the way down to my wrist. So I think this was the first time that this Apple watch ultra went in the water and immediately. So I know, you know, it's not guaranteed for, for, you know, more than a year. I think someone said in the comments, like, oh, it's, you know, the, 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 the waterproofing isn't guaranteed for more than a year or whatever. This was the first time that I tried. And I think given that the digital crown was like messed up for a while before the thing died, I think that this unit might've been defective and it wasn't properly sealed around the digital crown. And I didn't realize until, you know, the first time that I went in the water, but I think that some water got into it through the digital crown area and it just fried the thing. And, and, you know, this thing's definitely just dead at this point. Dude. Yeah. No, that, that is bad. That like, okay, here's another page in Apple support documents, which is about Apple Watch water resistance. So you'll notice that they say it's water resistant, but not waterproof, right? They're covering their ass for saying like, okay, look, we're not guaranteeing that water is impossible to get in there. They say you can wear and use your watch during exercise, sweat, walking in the rain, washing your hands. They talk about the, the rating of ISO standard for, you know, 50 meters at that, you know, that particular standard. But the Apple Watch Ultra is EN13319 compliant. So what, what that is, is a document specifically in uh, the EU, which is a regulatory measure for diving accessories, depth gauges and combined depth and time measuring devices. Okay. So, oh God, you got to pay to, to see all of these uh, documents to actually look at what that document, you know, certification implies. But if you are advertising your device as being compliant for uh, tested to engineering standard EN13319 for dive compliance, that means that it is suitable for splashes, rain or snow, showering, swimming, diving into water, snorkeling, high-speed water sports, and scuba diving. That's what that encompasses. So I don't see how you can advertise all of that stuff saying swim proof saying en13319 compliant and then when you do one of those things and it breaks you just say oh well we didn't promise that it was we just said that it could be so like every time you go in the water now you're just gambling and if your phone and if your apple watch breaks it's sorry that's your fault even though we told you you could do that that to me Dude, I think I think you've got a lawsuit on your hands. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I don't want to like get too far ahead of myself, but like it does seem a little bit ridiculous that like you know, 
it it, it seems like I think it's kind of false advertising, like you said, to be like you can do all of this stuff, but yet, like when I did it for the first time, and and the 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 thing is, it's the the ultra. I did it with my series five. Mm-hmm. I've taken that in the pool once, once. I think I even took it in the ocean once or twice, and that thing is still fun. I gave it. I think my sister has it right now, and that thing is still working just fine. You know, every time I was perfectly happy with that. Like it's the ultra and it's the first time that I tried. It's like, it's, it's just those two things. It's the first time that I ever did it. And the fact that it's the ultra, which is supposed to be the most rugged, uh, you know, thing that you like climb up mountains and dive in the ocean and high speed water sports and like all of this stuff. It's like, I don't know. I think it's just a little bit ridiculous. I might honestly call them again and try to get like a higher level advisor or something because like it doesn't it it just doesn't seem right to me. I don't know. Dude, you spent $800 on a device that was advertised as a dive computer and 1 year and 2 weeks after you bought it, you go swimming in a pool and it immediately craps itself and dies. On this website, on this support document that's talking about can I go scuba diving swimming, Apple Watch Series 2 and later can be used for shallow water activities like swimming in a pool or ocean. So that's that's already a Series 2, right? And they're saying, yeah, you can do that. But you shouldn't use models other than Apple Watch Ultra or later for diving, water skiing, or other activities involving submersion below shallow depth or high-velocity water. So they're still saying that you can use the Apple Watch Ultra for all of those things. But your Apple Watch Ultra died with the most basic task that's been available since the Apple Watch Series 2 that came out seven years ago. And I should point out, I have gone in many pools with my Apple Watch. I have gone in hot tubs where the water is like hot and moving, you know, bubbling around. I have not had any issues. But you went in, I mean, you didn't even like, the Apple Watch couldn't have been more than two feet submerged and for less than 30 minutes. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. And then I guess apparently the warranty doesn't mean anything based on what they said. But the funny thing was that my, the one-year limited warranty had expired 14 days before this happened. Yeah. Right. Because I got it. Like right before I got it right when it came out, the original Ultra, and now it's you know, it's early October, so it's literally one year and 14 days. I guess now it's like one year and 16 days since the thing came out. So I guess it doesn't matter if if that warranty doesn't cover water damage. I think that's kind of weird to call it like water damage. I didn't damage it, I did what I was, you know, allowed to, you know, encouraged even to do with it, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm sure Apple has some point like, oh, technically, you know, you're right. Like if that's the, the, the warranty and, and you know, the thing broke and, you know, there's something they can do about it, whatever. Maybe they're technically right. But that just – that still doesn't seem fair. And I think it's very disappointing it's that not. Apple doesn't stand behind their products like this, like they really should. No, I, I think that it's it's not even a matter of standing behind their products. It is a, a simple matter of like if you want to advertise your product as having X capability, you can't just leave people out to dry if doing that 
results in the death of their Apple Watch, especially something like an Apple Watch Ultra. Look, if somebody showed up with an Apple Watch Series 2, which they still say you can go swimming in, and they said, ah, the Apple Watch died. What the hell, man? I get that you would say, look, that's out of warranty. It's an older device. It's resistant, but it's not, you know, guaranteed. Sorry, can't really help you. But with a one-year-old Apple Watch Ultra, and you're going to say water damage for not even not even doing the dive thing, right? They say don't go below 40 meters. You didn't even go below 40 inches. And it's and it's like, ah, sorry. That whole thing that we advertised and have made sales of this device because of, we're not going to use that as reason enough to help you out when it fails in that way. What's the precedent for that? If I if I were to go swimming right now with my Apple Watch Ultra 2, no, not even 2. If I were to go take a shower and my Apple Watch died, even though Apple said, yeah, you can shower with it, you can go swimming with it, you can go diving with it, but if you actually do that and it dies, they're just going to say, mm, sorry, buy a new one. $800, year old, that's... That is completely unacceptable. Yeah, it's it's extremely disappointing and frustrating. Um, I will say, like, I, I will just acknowledge that I'm very fortunate that, like, you know, I'm in a position where the watch breaks and I can go and get another one. And, like, it really does suck to spend all that money again when I really didn't want to do an upgrade. And especially to have this thing be completely broken. I can't even, like, give it to someone to use but like, mm-hmm. I'll it's acknowledge e-waste. that I'm, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a paperweight at this point, but you know, I'll acknowledge that I'm, you know, I'm fortunate to, to be in that position, but I don't think that anyone should have to be in that position. And I think, you know, I, I think I'm going to call Apple again and, you know, try to talk to uh, someone at a higher level and see if, you know, I, it it just it just doesn't make sense that like calling it water damage and saying that and saying that it's not covered it's if it's damaged then it's not my fault like i you know what i mean it's like it's it's supposed to be able to do that the, whatever yeah the issue I, here's where i think the issue is if i took in a macbook air it was totally dead and they opened up and they said sorry we can't replace that it's dead because of water damage that would make sense because this is not a product that makes any guarantees about water. So when water damages it, that's outside of the bounds of normal use. But when you take a dive computer and they say, sorry, it has water damage, I would argue the issue is not that the water damage is present. It's for this product to be water damaged, it would therefore have to be defective. I think that's the distinction that Apple needs to honor. And I, you know, they say on their website that it can wear off and it's not, you know, it's a nebulous thing. It's not as concrete as, you know, my computer just didn't turn on today. They open it. There's no water damage. It's a defect. Let's replace it. It's a little bit of a gray area, but I think in this particular case and in any case like it, 
if you're going to say that your device is water resistant, if there's water damage, that means that it wasn't water resistant. That's a defect. Apple, it, as a blanket policy, doesn't cover water damage, but it doesn't make sense in a case where in order to damage it with water, you'd have to bypass a feature, requiring that feature to be not functional. I don't know. I feel like I'm going in circles here, but it seems pretty simple. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think it's just right. They can say like, oh, you know, you're out of warranty, whatever. Oh, the the, the water resistance degrades over time and whatever. But I think... I don't think that that's, even if that's all true, and even if, you know, the thing was fine for a year and then suddenly, you know, the thing degraded and and it died, whatever, I still think that Apple needs to do a bit more to be like, like, imagine like 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 a like a real like a truth uh true apple commercial where they're like showing all these cool things and they're like but you can only do this for one year they're showing like the people driving right. and like going someone said like oh you know they show people going you know traveling through the desert meanwhile the apple watch shuts off when it gets really hot whatever like they can show all these these things and just be like heads up this only works for a year or it's like you know you go into your 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 activity app and you try to start a swim workout and it's like, oh, your Apple Watch is more than a year old, so you might ruin it by taking it in the pool. But if you want to yeah. gamble it, then go for it. I feel like Apple, if if that's gonna be their excuse, is that oh, you know, it it you know, the resistance fades over time and we can't, you know, you know, we can't guarantee anything. They they should do more to like tell people, make sure people know about that. Obviously they don't want people to know, but but they need to tell exactly. people. Exactly. Well, but that's I think that's uh, legitimately, I think that if Apple continues to just refuse to do anything about it, you should look into a consumer protection lawsuit because you're in California, which is the pretty much the only state that seems to give a crap about consumer protection, quite fr frankly. Yeah. And I think you would have a very reasonable argument to say, look, with the way that this product is advertised, there is a reasonable assumption that within its reasonable lifespan, it should be able to complete the tasks that it's advertised to do. You are using a one-year-old $800 device that only just got a replacement. It's only two weeks from being the, the newest current product. It's not, it's, this isn't a case of like, oh, my old Apple Watch from six years ago that's been through a lot isn't functioning as it should. This was your first time in the water. The device isn't physically damaged in any way. The device, there, there is no reasonable expectation that you have depleted the lifespan of your product enough that it wouldn't be able to fulfill its advertised functionality. That is, I think, a very, like, if if I were you, I would absolutely, you know, just keep escalating as high as you can go until you can say, look, this is a one-year-old device that's advertised as being a 40-meter dive computer for scuba diving. There is no physical damage. There is no use of this device outside of the expected parameters, there is no reason that you should not be supporting 
a failure, a clear and obvious failure of this device to live up to what it is advertised to do. They're clearly, you know, taking this very meandering bullshit line of like, sorry, water damage can't do anything, but it's completely unreasonable. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, there's not much else to say. I completely agree with you. I will give Apple another call and try to try to escalate the issue a bit. I'll look into, uh, I'll look into, you know, consumer protection, whatever you highlighted this comment. Someone said, Oh, they'll add fine print that the rubber gasket degrades after a year. You know, first of all, if that's true, then they should, they do should, that. but I will yeah. also say fine print isn't always enough. Like, especially in the eu i don't know about in the us but like in the eu there have been cases where like you know terms of service and end user license agreements have been found to be not enforceable because even if they say like something very specific if there's like if it's not reasonable that that the consumer would actually like find and read that there have been cases where you know even still that has you know not been enough even if they write it in the agreement uh sometimes apple it can themselves still be Apple themselves, right, with uh, iTunes. I think there was some policy in, in the iTunes user agreement years ago that was deemed like, again, it's the thing that companies hide behind is, well, it's it says that, so that's what it is. But what the law is able to do in many cases is apply reasonable assumptions, right? In this particular case, Apple might be technically correct that water damage isn't part of what they cover in their warranty, right? That could be the literal interpretation of their warranty agreement, but that is not a reasonable interpretation of the advertising and promised functionality of the device. So if, if by their argument, you're completely... SOL, if you have a, a water-damaged Apple Watch Ultra, and I'm even just going to say Apple Watch Ultra, but realistically, this should be all Apple Watches for that situation. If that is the case, and liquid damage is not covered, then they should put spoken wording in their commercials where they show people swimming and doing all this stuff, and they should say, Plus, it can go in a dive. Com it can be a dive computer, subject to your own risk. They they would have to say, you you need a disclaimer if you're going to advertise a feature but not cover that feature failing. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, the last thing that I'll say just just to end this is that uh, you know we both love Apple. Apple makes a lot of great products. You know, there's a reason why when this Apple Watch died, my first instinct was to go and get another one because it's like it's a great mm -hmm. product and, and I love it. Even though obviously there's some defect with this, you know, this first one, I, it's the Apple Watch as a product is still great and I love it. But it's just there are times like, you know, this time and before with my 2017 MacBook Pro three month saga, there are just some times uh, where, you know, Apple really tests you know, your loyalty. And I think that that's a place where Apple could stand to improve because they make great products and we love their products. And we love talking about them. But I think, you know, Apple 
can do a little bit better with, you know, with their support and especially with recognizing, you know, I don't know, like both of us, like we buy a lot of Apple products. We're super loyal. And, you know, maybe mm-hmm. if they can recognize that and say, like, you know, try and try and you know, help out a little bit, do something. So maybe they yeah, will. I mean, that's like, an incredibly disrespectful way to treat a loyal customer. You have purchased their most expensive Apple Watch and they treat you like garbage. They're like, sorry, did a feature that was advertised to you and your watch is obviously defective. No, it's actually your fault. And even though you've spent thousands of dollars over more than a decade, we're just going to make you buy another most expensive Apple Watch. It's just it's just lame and disrespectful. And it's obviously bullshit that you're going to like you can't advertise something and then just completely ignore that when it doesn't work. It's ridiculous. And especially with the way that you phrased it, where they said, like, this is not covered by the warranty. So it kind of, the way that you described it made it seem like even if you were under warranty, they wouldn't have done anything. Yeah, I asked. I was like, so even if I had that one-year warranty, you couldn't do anything? And they said, no, because it's not Apple Care. That's what they said. Bro. That's, dude. No, this is going to the Supreme Court. Oh, you can't yeah. have a one-year warranty. You can't. Okay, that's that's basically saying that you only get a real warranty if you pay. That's nonsense. Yeah. It. Yeah, because like it almost seems like they copy pasted from all of their other uh, their other things. Like obviously, yeah. if a Mac or an iPad or an iPhone has water damage, that's one thing. But the Apple Watch, like we've already said this, is completely different, right? So there's no yeah. there's no good reason to 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 talk about water damage on an Apple Watch that you take in the water, you know? Exactly. The 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 fact that it's damaged is immaterial because it shouldn't only a defect would mean that it would get damaged in the first place within a reasonable degree of assumption. Yeah. So yeah, I know. I you absolutely give them hell, don't roll over. Keep calling. Honestly, just mention the word California and lawyer. I, get, I, I bet you that if you give them enough hell, you will get an Apple Watch or we're going to court. Yeah, that would be a, a whole other thing. But, uh, but yes, I definitely – I will definitely give them another call tomorrow and, you know – See what I can do. See what they say. You know what I'm going to say, though? What? That we got uh, we got really into tonight's topics and we ran a little long, which means it's overdue for us to, unfortunately, end the show. Yeah, we've gone about 20, 23 minutes over time here. I think that, may, yeah. that might be a new record or it's definitely up there. It might be. It might just be a new record. Yeah. I'll tell you what you got to do right now. After we end this show, go swimming with the Apple Watch Ultra 2. Oh, jeez. I was thinking about that. I was like, now I got I to gotta go swimming with, with the new Apple Watch as soon as I get it to see if it's defective or not. So maybe <laughs> I should do that. There you go. Just just like draw a bath and just sit in the bathtub and see if it dies. Yeah. 
Yeah, you never know. <laughs> Absolutely. But I'll, I do know that this episode is now definitely officially over. Thank you guys so much for watching. We'll be sure to give you updates next week with whatever happens. I've been your host, Luke Miani. And I've been your host, Noah Rubin. Have a great night, unlike my original Apple Watch Ultra. <laughs> nice.